on that same note, uh, we are now 39 weeks and two days pregnant of Amaya. So. <gasps> oh, congrats. Yeah, I, I, I think it should be okay for the next couple of hours. Jill is okay. But <laughs> if she comes uh, in, open the door shouting, um, then you know where we're heading. We're heading to the hospital real fast. Oh my goodness. So exciting. <laughs> Welcome to Adelante, the podcast filled with inspiring stories of people embracing their uniqueness. I'm Alfonso Comino, your host. Today, I am joined by not one, but two guests, Amanda O and Ethan Wan. How many couples did you know sit down every year for a marriage performance review, just like you would do with your boss? This is just one of the many things that make our guests unique. Born and raised in a traditional Chinese family in Wandong, Amanda's biggest dream has always been to travel the world and experience life in all dimensions. She started her career in Shenzhen and then moved to Hong Kong, Beijing and Shanghai where she built a successful career and met her husband, Ethan, through volunteer work. Together, they embarked on a journey to make her childhood dream come true by leaving everything behind and venturing on a 14-month trip to 45 countries in all seven continents. Ethan was the kid who was supposed to lose at the starting line. From being abandoned as a baby in Taiwan, he went on to take on executive roles at Wall Street and even served in the Peace Corps. Ethan transformed disadvantageous experiences into opportunities, such as being afraid of water and then becoming a rescue diver. He learned to view fear as anachronism, false evidence appearing real. After that, his life has never been the same. Amanda and Ethan live in Shanghai with their son Enzo. I know Amanda and Ethan personally, so I can testify to how inspiring they both are, which is why I invited them to share their unique story here in Adelante. In this conversation, we cover topics about their individual stories, their relentless commitment to volunteer work, the trip that changed their lives forever, and how they use an unconventional approach to make the marriage work. Please enjoy this conversation with Amanda and Ethan. Thank you, Amanda and Ethan, for taking the time to be with us on the podcast today. Thank you, Alfonso, for inviting us to join. The idea of this podcast is to cover mainly two types of topics and narratives. One is about inspiring personal stories. and The other one is actionable insights for people to have a more fulfilling life. And since I know you both personally, uh, I know both of you fall into both buckets and have really great personal stories. And we're going to share a lot of actionable insights today from your personal lives and also from your marriage. And I think people will benefit from that. Since I expect this conversation to cover a wide range of topics today, and we don't have really a good starting point, and we might jump here and there, I was thinking a really good place for us to start this conversation will be to talk about um, the stoic approach that Ethan, you had to your career. If you don't mind me sharing, I can start this conversation with the first paragraph of your book, which you are working on now and you share with me, and it's titled Truth and Dare, Stories of Personal Development Through Self-Discovery. And I'm just going to read the first paragraph and then I'll pass the ball to you. I consider myself having lived a bizarre life up to this point. I have worked 42 jobs, moved 30 times and traveled to 86 countries in 43 years. I took eight years of work between 25 and 40 years old, which many people consider to be prime years of their career. Ethan, can you take us from here and describe what you say your bizarre life is and, and who you are? Sure. Let's see, where do I begin? The reason I say it's bizarre because it's almost like a fairy tale. In fact, when I took this book to try to entice a publisher in Shanghai, uh, her feedback to me was, Ethan, I'm only a couple years older than you. Yet, when I read this book, I can't relate to anything you say because it just seems so unreal. Um, so if I can't relate to you, that I don't think my readers can relate to you. Hence, she said uh, she doesn't believe this book is publishable uh, here in China. And on top of that, she also mentioned in, in China, obviously, there are certain topics we don't want to discuss, such as drugs, religion, and meditation, which my book touched upon um, on all of these topics. 
And I was really curious. And I asked her, how come we can't talk about meditation? And she mentioned, well, you know, religions we can control, but meditation, we can't. So that's something also quite interesting. My life has been somewhat of a roller coaster. But now that I'm able to look back and reflect on it, it's、uh, quite exciting. And I consider myself very blessed and fortunate to meet the people along my journey, which Amanda is part of that awesome journey that we've embarked together. I am grateful for the people. I'm grateful even for the so called challenges that I was confronted with earlier in my childhood. Because that gives me a reference point. It helps me understand that whatever it is that I went through, the so called hardships, the opposite of that is what I truly wanted and desired. So, by having gone through some of those challenges in life, I have that much more to look forward to. It's almost like the saying that you can't get any worse because you've sort of been there already. So, there's only The positives to look forward to. A good follow up question is in your book, you make a reference about、um, how difficult your childhood was、uh, in the early years. Is that something that you feel comfortable discussing? Yeah, sure, no problem. If we were to have this call 10, 15 years ago, I think my response would be very different from now. And the reason I say that is our opinions are self formulated. So, Whatever it is, how we view our life, the lens we see through is self created. So, 15 years ago, I would have been a very, very bitter person, and everything I look out through life might be very negative. But now I see things very differently. So, for example, the, the reason I say I have a difficult childhood is because、um, I grew up without my parents.、Uh, my mother, Uh, left me when I was nine months old. So I essentially grew up with a mother. And I had two older brothers who also didn't know who their mothers are. And we sort of w a s brought up by family with grandparents, with uncles and aunts. We were essentially free range. My dad was really not in the picture. Uh, he started a new family and spent most of the time with that family. And when I was nine years old, I immigrated to the United States. And my father、uh, was the one who took us there. At the time, I did, I did not know.、Um, it was actually at the request of my grandfather that my father came. And at that time, even though in my nine year old mind, I was curious how come my stepmother and stepsister didn't come. But I never bothered to raise with the question because I didn't like them. And I was glad that they weren't in the US with us. But a long story short,、uh, a few years later, I remember not too long after I turned 12, I woke up one day and my father just disappeared. And he never came back.、Um, so I'm not going to go into the details because it's all in the book. But let's just say that at 12 years old, it was a transition in life. And I had to grow up very quickly. So that's when I started taking up work, working, making rent,、uh, trying to get by while going to school. So To give you some sense of perspective, when, when other kids show up in school, their job is just to make it through the day. Whereas I start my day around 5 a.m., you know, throwing papers, riding my bicycle to school, after school, riding my bicycle to the grocery store, working until 11 p.m., going home and do my homework and probably sleep around one or two and repeat my day the next day at five. So that's kind of like how I went through four years of high school. That's why I say it's hard, because at the time I felt it was unfair. How come other people have it good, but I didn't? But now I look back on those、um, experiences and I'm so grateful to be i n blessed with those so called challenges that helps me mature、um, and helps me see life very differently. 
and having the opportunity to work with so many different types of people so that I'm now able to connect with people from all walks of life. So yeah, really difficult childhood. Uh, you moved to the US and some of your hardship and adventures continue. And then at some point, you decide to write this book against all odds, because you mentioned before that some of your publishers in China didn't uh, support doing that because it felt some of the content wasn't relatable to some people here. So what was the motivation behind you starting the book and how did you power through that early feedback? The motivation for the book has been postponed for almost a decade. It started out when I speak with various friends of mine and I simply, and you know, we all have our own hardships in life. And it just so that I could relate to most people's challenges because I've been through quite a few of them. So as I listen to them sharing their challenges in life, I sometimes share my own life experiences. And it was during this process that many people told me, Ethan, you know, you should really write your stories down because it's very helpful for other people. At that time, I didn't think it was a big deal because it, you know, it's just something I went through. I, I don't see it as how my experiences could be therapeutic or, or healing for others uh, who might be going through the same troubles. So that's why I put it off. And I was so focused on my own career development at the time. So I just didn't think anything of it. And it wasn't until Amanda and I came back from our around-the-world travels. So we traveled the world for 408 days between 2017 and 2018. And it was during that trip that we were once again exposed to so much inspiration from the people we've met and the experiences we encountered that by the time we came back, I settled down and I thought to myself, why not? Why not put my stories down on paper and see if indeed it could help some people? So that's what I went through. It took about two years for me to jot down those stories down on paper. And obviously, I was very excited as I conducted on this project. So by the time I reached out to that publisher and heard her feedback, it was um, it was difficult. It was difficult because uh, I, I guess that's when I realized not everyone felt inspired uh, by my stories. Fortunately, uh, I continue to receive positive feedback. But once again, I see a difference in culture as well. It seems like the readers that have access to my book uh, mostly in the U.S., in the Western world. They seem to really, really enjoy the stories. Whereas some of the readers I've shared with here in China, it just feels very distant from them. Some of the feedback I heard was this seemed more like a Hollywood movie script rather than a real-life story. And I just allow it to be. Right now, it's uh, one of those projects that's just there. I would have to uh, find motivation once again to really push it through and get it published or not. Right now, I just feel good that I have fulfilled a, an innate desire to share myself in some capacity. And where that goes later in life, well, we'll see. I have read a good chunk of it, and I have to agree. It really feels like something on a different world, more like a movie. It take us to page 243 deep when the heroine shows up. And I think that's the first page where Amanda shows up in the book and you describe how you met. Um, I want you to describe how you met Amanda. Yeah. So here is the backdrop. Ever since my dad left us when I was 12 years old, I told myself I will never get married in life. And the reason I say that and believe in that is as a 12-year-old, I was thinking to myself, what is that one thing I could possibly do to not get hurt ever again? And it dawned on my 12-year-old mind that the only way not to get hurt is to not 
open myself up in the first place. So don't allow anybody into my life. So having gone through broken family, you know, my grandparents are divorced, my parents are divorced, my uncles and aunts are divorced, my oldest brother is divorced. And when I was about 34 years old, I met Amanda in Shanghai. And at the time, I was involved with this uh, organization called BEJM, B-E-J-M. and it's uh, kind of like a volunteer organization that was doing a variety of projects from uh, taking care of homeless children to elderly care uh, to abandoned animals. I mean, there's literally a lot of projects that I could get involved with. And Amanda was a fellow volunteer. And that's how I got to meet her. And initially, she, Amanda herself, as well as the other volunteers, were just a great group of people. These people are caring. They are very, very kind. They go out of their way, take their time and energy, and invest in other people and help make this community better. And I resonate with that. And this group of people eventually became almost like a family. So we came up with a word we call a family, friends and family combined. So Amanda and I, we were just good friends. We, in fact, we were buddies. Um, and that lasted two or three years until one day that weird feeling came. You know, there, there's just something like, I guess, a tension that sort of crept up. And I, kind of just wish there may be something else. And, and Amanda is great. She's a person with such a big heart and she has her own sense of humor. So when I try to communicate that awkwardness with her, sort of trying to figure out, could there be more uh, than just this friendship? And she saw me kind of like, obviously not my normal self, Maybe I was not making sense with what I was trying to see. And at the time, she was cooking uh, in the kitchen. And she just said, be her own way. If you can't handle the heat, then get out of my kitchen. And I didn't quite understand what she meant until I went home and sort of thought about it. And, and thought, well, maybe she did get what I was trying to say. And she's telling me to just make up my mind and make a move. <laughs> And that's kind of, at least in my way, how this relationship got started. Let me pass it back to you. <laughs> Just about to jump in there. Amanda, did, how did he manage the heat? How How is your, how's your opinion on that? And before you say anything, Amanda, I'm going to make it public. Uh, before we start this conversation, Amanda texts me and say she feels a bit self-conscious about how she speaks English. I just think her English is better than mine, so nobody is going to judge anything. <laughs> and we just want to hear your story about how Ethan took the heat. Okay. Um, in reality, I didn't think that he handled the heat very well. <laughs> That's why I said the words. Um, but yeah, it's um, very interesting. In, in China, we had a word yuanfen. Uh, basically, it means uh, serenity. So I think that we started as friends through charity work and then eventually we just came together and very interestingly out of that charity being we have like seven eight couples all together so i guess mm, people just meet and then through good work and then get to know each other you have the same value system and then ended up together yeah and that makes a lot of sense and we're going to talk about all the charity work that you do and ethan as well which i know is very extensive but before we do that, Ethan had the opportunity to talk about who he is and introduce himself. And I think it's not fair if we don't allow you to do the same, because you also have a really particular set of really interesting stories. And maybe you can walk us of you know, who Amanda is and up to that point where you met. Sure. I was born and raised in South China, in Guangdong. Grew up from a very traditional family, uh, which I was taught to get my first career at 22 and then maybe get married in 25 and then have kids after war. So very traditional, but I managed to study English in a very young age. Um, it's just very different cultural stuff that makes me think 
um, they might be a very different perspective or a different way to live in the world. So it's always been my greatest dream or greatest passion to travel around and see how people live. So I think started from middle school, I got a chance to participate in a lot of international events, um, go to debate tournaments, go to speaker tournaments, um, and then be able to expose myself to different cultures. Uh, I think the first country that I've ever traveled to is Singapore, Alfonso. Very interestingly, I think that's my starting point of getting to know the world a little bit, uh, one step at a time. Finish my school, finish university in China, travel around China a bit, um, and then I work mostly in foreign enterprises uh, and had a, a lot of chance to travel because I, I was in sales. Um, so there, uh, you know, mixed up my personality and also my life stories to adventures, uh, also working through different cultures and get to know people in different cultures as well. So that's a little bit about me. Um, charity work is something that comes a bit late um, when I was living in Shanghai starting from 2006. For everyone that lived in Shanghai, we figure out that it's an amazing city to know people and get to know a lot of activities. Um, but after a while, it's, it's, it's just city life. Um, it's, it's the same everywhere in New York, in London, um, in, in Beijing or San Francisco. So I was looking for something more to do um, in the city. Um, and lucky enough, um, Bean comes into my horizon. Um, and that's how I join uh, them and then get to know a lot of great people out there. Um, and that starts uh, the charity live and then the different chapter of Shanghai Live and then eventually love marriage from there. Right. And something else uh, we need to mention that you also have a son now, which we could hear a little bit in the background before. So we'll talk about him and his love for pizza later. But yeah. one of the things you guys did together, I don't know how early on on your relationship, but uh, mentioned on your first paragraph on your book, Ethan, is that you are known for taking very long breaks of work in what is considered the peak of many people's career. And during those eight years that you were off, the both of you uh, left everything behind and went traveling around the world for over 400 days. And I've had the pleasure to see a few photographies of that. And I know some of the, the experiences that you live through that travel are very worthy of talking about it. So Maybe, Amanda, you give us your top one or two experiences that you had during that trip. And then, Ethan, you can do the same later. Sure. I got this question a lot from people knowing we, we travel around the world for 408 days. In general, you know, the trip is, is really, really amazing. I think that's one of the best decisions that I've made in my life. But if I have to rank my top two or top three, it's definitely number one, Antarctica. Number two, Colombia. Number three, Mexico as places or, or countries to go to. Um, but yeah, eventually the, the story and the people that we met um, in the trip is the most treasurable for us. Now, what about yourself, Ethan? Do you have anything in common or totally different ones? Oh, sure. Uh, we have many things in common um, and maybe a little different depending on our perspective. So why do I share the stories behind those places. But let me first give some background. Maybe that's not relevant to the travel and then connect back. So in 2015, I was working for a company called Honeywell. It's an American Fortune 500 company. And I was running mergers and acquisition in, for APAC based in China. And at the time, I seemed to be the successful person on the outside uh, with a great job, making good money. However, I was feeling quite empty inside, not sure what my ultimate purpose in life is and what's there to look forward to in the future. Uh, that's when I hired a, a life coach. And one of the exercise she had me doing is to keep a gratitude journal. And in the beginning, I can't write a single thing I was grateful for, but I stuck with it. And it took about six months before I got myself scoring my gratitude. So from one to 10, one, I'm not grateful for anything. 10, 
I, I'm just having the, the best time of my life because I, I just feel amazing. So it took me about like six months to go from a two to a five. So as you can see, I was pretty negative in spite of the so-called worldly success. But I remember it took about a little over a year when I felt my first eight in gratitude. And that was when Amanda and I was in Tuscany, Italy, and we were driving through the rolling hills at sunset and just seeing how the sky changes color from a bright orange to light, supple purple before she got to the evening. But it was in Antarctica where I felt my first tent. And, and that's just beyond words. And it was when we were paddleboarding in the glacier and there were icebergs right all over us. Yet it was so quiet, so quiet. The only thing we could hear is the, the, the paddling of our boards, as well as our own heartbeat. That's, that's how quiet everything got. And looking through the horizon, and in perfect peace and presence. And I was just in awe at the perfection of the moment. What power could come up with such magnificence? And just at that moment, there was a, a whale that floated right next to us and blew air from the back of its head. And I thought to myself, I could die at this very moment with a smile on my face, thinking that this is a wonderful experience to mark the end of my life. So when we say like Antarctica is one of those top places, it's not just a natural beauty. It's definitely how, at least for me, how I felt serene and peaceful and being connected with nature and feeling very lucky that I was able to experience that. And in terms of Mexico, uh, Amanda and I, we met a couple. Uh, we shared the same Airbnb. They're an older couple in their 60s. Mike was a triathlete at 62 years old. So when Amanda and I woke up for breakfast around nine, he already finished a half marathon as a warm-up, and he was going to go out and ride 100 miles on his bicycle. Really made me feel like, wow, okay, that guy is so awesome. He's now going to be my role model. Just because people get old and they have so many excuses why they don't exercise or why, you know, how they are fragile and how they can't do certain things. And this 62 years old was just on fire. And Marie is uh, 60 and she was a doctor, but left her world behind to travel with him because they were also traveling the world. And they had uh, bought this small sailboat and converted into a solar-powered sailboat. So needless to say, they can't travel very far. And it took them quite a long time from uh, Canada to the Gulf of Mexico. And that's where they decided to just live there for six years. So when we met them, they have so many amazing stories. But it really felt like, like they were family. And, oh, I, you know, just, we just wish we met them sooner. And we only shared one evening together before we moved on the next day. And it was just fantastic. Uh, and I remember we're leaving the next day, just absolutely sure that we're just going to run into each other somewhere else in this world. And we left happily. We hugged. We left happily. And we promised that we will stay in touch. Uh, three weeks later, we got an email from Marie. And she was checking in saying hello. But there was something disturbing about her email when I read that sentence. I'm not writing this email to complain or to be hurtful. I just thought because you guys are family, I think you should know. And right there, I knew something terribly was wrong. And then she went on to say that Mike died of a heart attack. And he was actually the day after we left. You know, he came back from a run. And they were making breakfast, and he literally just fell down and never got back up. And I think it was that experience, and I'm sure you know, your listeners have similar experiences in different ways, how the universe shows us how this life could just end unexpectedly. 
So how will we live differently if knowing things like that may happen? You know, so for me personally, I've gone through uh, 9-11, right? And I missed the accident by, by three weeks. So I, I see three, 4,000 people dying on that day. And I remember at the time thinking to myself, wow, I'm so lucky that I was able to live. So how would I live differently? And once again, in Mexico, when we met Mike Barry, and someone that you love so much, even though, you know, you've only met them, but you feel like you know them for so long and they're like just family and they just die. How would you look at your life differently? And it was Marie who said, this email is not for you guys to feel bad. She said, I'm sure Mike, uh, as well as myself, will want you, Amanda, to know this. And that is, we love you. And you guys are on an amazing journey. So stay curious. Continue to explore. Continue to enjoy each other. Because at the end of your life, it's not the money, it's not the material wealth you've accumulated that you're going to think back on. At least for her, Marie, she said, to art, it was all the wonderful memories they've created together. And that's what she continues to think about today. We all travel for different reasons. But for us, I felt just being able to share our companionship with one another and exploring this world together and learning about ourselves with the support of one another. That's, at least for me, one of the best gifts in life. I'm trying to put myself together a little bit and there's obviously a lot of value on the story that you mentioned and it clearly touched you a lot and I have a couple of follow-up questions. My first one is, have you both keep in touch with Marie since the incident? Because it's been a couple of years now. Yeah, I'll let Amanda take that one. Oh yeah, we did. Um, we are like family members. We communicated once uh, a month at least um, to just send emails to each other, ask about how we are, and we send photos of Enzo, our son, to Marie as well. Um, so we keep pretty close in touch with each other. Um, and Ethan didn't mention it, but after Marie broke us the uh, brought us the the news um one of the dreams that mike had when he was still alive is to go to africa um so we actually managed to meet marie in africa um after six months um after that email and mike passed away um just something that we pay respect to mike um and then how we remember him um when we were still alive um, and then luckily, we actually saw Marie again in 2019 in Mexico, actually. That's how we keep contact with each other um, after we met. Really touching story. I know the book is full of many more stories that will also be as incredible as this one. And one of the things that you mentioned is that you had a life coach and help you to uh, write uh, a journal about how grateful you are on that day or the things that happened to you, which is really good practice to have. Have you kept back with that practice, Ethan, and maybe Amanda, you do as well? And if you were at 10 in Antarctica, like after that experience with Mike and having that incredible perspective in life, do you feel that your average gratitude is much higher now than it was back then? For me, uh, I've kept up the, the gratitude journal ever since 2015 because it, it worked wonders in my own life that I can't fathom not doing that because it's it's my foundation it's kind of how i was able to build a positive mindset in how i view everything with a different lens so there's a saying out there and, and, and that saying is it's not happy people who are grateful but but rather grateful people who are happy and i truly believe that so I continue to do that almost every day in terms of the level of uh, how i feel let me see if I could put this into perspective. So I started with very low gratitude in life. I just take everything for granted. I felt like I worked hard, I earned it, therefore it's justified. And I never recognized that almost all my success happened because of there are people who support me. Some of them I don't even know by day. But now that I've had this experience on developing my own gratitude, I could tell you this. Ever since I felt five or six in terms of one to 10 scoring, I would never want to go back to a two or three. And ever since I felt the eight in my life, I would never want to go back to the five or six. 
and having that experience in Antarctica. And I, I have to say those experiences are special. Certainly, I don't feel like that every day. But nevertheless, I feel because my bit foundation has been developed for quite a few years now, I feel I'm constantly at around a nine. And I feel it's not like those amazing feelings. It's almost like a quiet security about life, that quiet confidence that everything is working out for us, for Amanda and I. It's the just being present and, and just feeling okay, not being too anxious, trusting that we have the resources and the time to get through what we need to get through. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, and Amanda, is that something that you also do? Unfortunately, I don't keep a gratitude journal. Um, I have a very different way to register um, gratitude in my life and how it works for me. What makes a very big difference for me is actually the 408-day trip that we do in 2017. Very, very similar to to Ethan. I used to take things for granted as well. I'm a, a single child, um, born into a very loving family. So um, I used to think that things are just like this all the way. Uh, but through my teen years, my later years, I realized that it's, it's not. Um, and you have to fight hard and then do pay a lot of efforts to get to things that you really want. And I started to get really frustrated. And... That's how all the unhappiness, the confusion comes out. I also had a coach when I was 25 years old um, who also taught me what gratitude is. Um, she actually recommended to read this book by a Taiwanese author called Zhang Defen. Uh, very straightforward, simple stories, but teach you to always stop and think about what you have and then started to treasure it. Um, in a very different way. So after the years, I had a concept in my mind, but I started to get better. But then I think that there's a very um, deep piece in my mind that I, I still don't know what gratitude looks like. It's actually when we were traveling, when we met all these amazing people like Mike and Marie during our trip, meet all these people in Cuba, in Bosnia, who actually were born in these most unfortunate families and then societies and then worlds that have been through wars, been through misfortune, been through very different life stories, but still would be able to keep this amazing positive mindset. I remember this girl that I met at the top end of uh, Cuba Island. Um, I asked her, um, what was her, her biggest dream in life? Um, and she looked at me and she said, I wanted to travel to Havana. And I can't even imagine traveling to Havana is her biggest dream. Um, and when I look at her, I understand. Her family brings in about $25 uh, each month. Um, but she still like had this amazing positive mi mindset that one day she's She's going to Havana. And when she said it, when she answered the question, she's all smile. I can see that it's something that she really holds up to. So I think it's just there. Like all these stories, all these people we met. For me, it's like a coin system. Every time I meet someone that tells me something like that, I collect a coin. And then after the trip, when I look into my picky pocket, um, it's full. So When I go back to my normal life, every now and then I will look into that pocket and these stories of gratitude comes out and it serves as a life energy for me and then remind me how grateful I should be in my daily life. And it changed my perspective, uh, how I live my life. And it's just something really amazing and, and treasurous for me for my whole life. Yeah, and I guess everybody can account for the way they feel grateful in different ways. But Amanda, I know you do a lot of work even today with charities and helping people in rural China and different places. So I thought we'll take a moment for you to reflect on some of those initiatives that you do today. And some of them are great. I don't know if you want to highlight any specific one, but do you want to talk about some of the charitable work that you do today? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Ethan can tell you many of their stories because he he's the amazing person that's 
been with um, Peace Corps for for three years, and then was sent to Madova for three years. I'm sure that he can share more on that. For me, the interesting thing about charity work it's completely different from a lot of people um, about why they join this kind of work. I went through very much the same journey um, like everybody else because we wanted to try to help someone. We want to contribute our time to someone. Um, and that's why we do charity work, to make ourselves uh, feel better by doing something good. That's the original thought uh, when I was joining Bean, when I was joining uh, some of the volunteering work that I picked up uh, early years. But it was actually through Bean that I realized that no matter how much work that I do, I can fundamentally change someone, change someone's misfortune, change their life, or even bring a very significant change to their life. It's because the first programs that I did was with Bean um, to orphanages. I actually do a lot of uh, work with children. And I realized that when we visit them, maybe once or twice uh, a week, once or twice a month, uh, we give them material, we give them diapers, we give them money. It doesn't really significantly change their lives. So I become really frustrated and then question myself whether I should continue to do this. Back then, my dearest friend and the president of Bean um, named Sheila told me something that is very profound and actually influenced me to do how I do charity work um, down the road. She said, it's actually not about helping them. It's about helping yourself to see a very different perspective in life. And then you bring the energy back to them. And maybe here and there, you'll be able to influence them to see life a little bit differently. And that's how hope starts. And it gives me a very different perspective in, in doing all the volunteering work afterwards. I don't hold myself responsible, at least at like 100%, to change that person's life fundamentally. But I think that I see that the cost of charity, like changing me first a little bit. And then through that journey, um, I would be able to bring positive energy, different perspectives, different type of care to the people that I help. And then from there, I think that it, it kind of opened up a new chapter for me um, in volunteering life. Um, and until today, when I go to do this type of work, I don't think about myself as the safer or someone who can help them through the deep waters. I see that as a chance to transform myself um, from the starting point to bring a little piece of myself um, to that work and then be able to maybe influence someone. So I think it's just be the change that you want to be for all these charity work. And that's how I get to continue. Yeah. That's really great. And thanks for sharing that. Still thinking about the Havana story. I'm really sure what the distance was between Havana and where that lady was very small. And it resonated with me how your dreams are often contained with your perspective. So traveling gives you that wider perspective and you realize how lucky you really are. So Ethan, do you have anything else to share about charitable work? And like Amanda mentioned, you are well known for how much you do today for different communities. Is that something that you want to talk about? A lot of people ask me, why do I leave Morgan Stanley and join the Peace Corps, uh, which is a, a government organization uh, started by uh, JFK. So President Kennedy started Peace Corps in the 1960s, sending college kids to third world countries. And, and the mission was actually quite simple. Number one is to provide some sort of skills that's useful for the locals. And the second mission is to learn something about their culture. And the third is to bring that knowledge back and share it with the communities. So I joined Peace Corps not because I bought into those visions, but it was because of September 11th. So at the time, I was working for Morgan Stanley, and I was trained in the 62nd floor of uh, World Trade Center number two. So I left there uh, around uh, middle August. So I just celebrated my birthday on August 10th. So when that morning of 9-11 came, I, re I was still getting calls from my family and friends thinking that maybe I was still in New York. 
So long story short, I woke up to that incident and seeing the images of the plane flying to the buildings. And I asked myself, well, what, what do I really want to do with my life? And I don't have an answer to that question. And then I started asking all these questions. So why do things like September 11th happen? Once again, I don't have an answer. Why do people of different religious backgrounds fight one another? Uh, why do countries behave the way they do? Once again, I don't have any of those answers. But I do know one thing, and that is if I don't change my life, I will never find out those answers. So that's part of the reasons why I eventually joined the Peace Corps is to find myself in a way. And the three years in the Peace Corps, I was able to do a lot of different projects from fish farming to starting Little League Baseball to getting uh, a quarter of a million dollars from United Nations and build a youth resource center so they have access to computers and learning the English language. So all that was absolutely wonderful in terms of the fulfillment part. However, it was something else that was entirely not expected that helped me grow. And that are the things work can't teach you and schools may not be able to teach you. And, and that is really how you pursue life. So all the topics life will throw at you. How do you look at death? I, I know this 19-year-old girl that froze to death in negative 35 Celsius weather in the middle of winter in Moldova. How do you look at temptation? Moldova is a very corrupt, well, parts of it can be very corrupt. I actually had access to the mafia. <laughs> so I could have done some really crazy stuff and get away with it. When those situations present itself, what would you do? So how do you look at that? How do you look at temptation? How do you look at power? All of those questions that, in theory, we think we could answer, but when those situations confront you personally, it's those experiences, uh, such as the ones I had in Moldova, that eventually taught me who I am as a person. So I think volunteering, in theory, seems like, oh, we're doing the world some good. But in reality, I think it's the world doing us a lot of good. Uh, it teaches who we are. I think that's well said. Yeah, definitely well said. I'm having a hard time to move away to the other topics. And uh, I just want to get at least to one more because I know both of you personally, and this is changing gears a little bit. Um, and I really enjoy the conversation so far. And it's very hard for me to part ways with all the interesting stories that you have said, and they're very inspiring. But I do really want to talk about your approach to marriage and you're very vocal about it. So how two people as wise and with so much and diverse experiences are the the both of you have and with such a different upbringings as the two of you have, how do you approach marriage? I don't know who of you wants to take that question, but I know you have a different way to approach marriage than other people do. So who wants to take that one? Well, ladies first. <laughs> I think once when the first time that I, I talked to Alfonso about his framework that I did, um, the performance rating, you call me crazy. <laughs> I think it wasn't just the first time. So it's very interesting because um, both of us worked for very large corporates before. Um, and well, with my background, I, I did work with a lot of HRs and I was actually in talent acquisition, HR, um, organization development a little bit. Um, so after we got married, I think it's like year number three, something like that. Um, I started to have this idea, why don't we have a better form to give each other feedback. The idea came when one of my friends in Hong Kong introduced me this framework about how she and her husband did this review once a month or once a year. Basically, it's a rating system. Um, between the two of you, you can have like uh, a rating system on different stuff like kids, um, housework, um, spiritual belief, health, uh, growth, and then you rate each other individually and then you come together and then talk about that rating at the end of the day you summarize everything together and then give each other some 
goals or some expectation to look forward to in the next year or next time period. And I was like, this is a great idea. It's just a very good way, also a very fun way to give each other the space or the, the measurement to go forward to give each other something to improve. So I introduced the idea to him. I think it was um, um, 2017, 2018, when we came back from traveling and uh, during a trip in Korea. And I was joking to him, like, uh, let's do it offsite and let's do a, a very quick performance review. So there, you know, in a barbecue shop, we started to give each other um, points and ratings. Um, and it's a very interesting way of giving feedback because we kind of take all the obstacles and then the bad feelings away like basically we're, we're giving each other a very safe environment to give feedback and to talk about what you really think in subjects like housework children or even sex you know things like that we started carrying um, that framework for, for a while i think that we did it at least once a year um, most likely at the end of the year um, and then we, we did the feedback i what i call it is like sandwich feedback first of all we, we started by thanking each other on things that we really like and then and also really grateful of um, and then we started going into the writing. Uh, we give the individual score in different subjects that we think it's important to the relationship. And at the end, we do the summarize and then reach our alignment. Um, and that actually, that's how we, we do the feedback and also how we, you know, communicate. Um, I assure you, it's not as bad as it sounds called performance rating, but it's a really fun way to give feedback. How would you describe it, Ethan? How is your performance for the performance rating? <laughs> well, let's just say I don't see it as that much fun. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's not fun, but anytime when you hear those words, performance review, I think most people in the corporate world will resonate similar feelings as I do. Because that in and of itself will eventually just become mechanical and you're doing it for the sake of doing it. So even though we don't have a better way to call it at the moment, but what it really is, it's what performance review is originally intended to do, and that is to foster open communication uh, in which both people feel comfortable enough to truly share what they really think and having the aptitude to accept uh, feedback and what's the point of trying to make each other better and, and I think that is the intent of doing what we do because we want our marriage to thrive and not just to survive through marriage right just the same way we want our life to thrive and not just survive the day to day and in order to do that we, we really have to bring out the best of us so another way I would look at this, I mean, Amanda has all the processes, but my, my intent is clear. How would I really see her in the lens of something that, you know, being the, the person she really is, right? So how do I feel lucky every time I see her in my life? For example, I have my gratitude journals that I keep day to day, but I also have this other journal. And the title of that journal is Everything I Love About Amanda. So it really is a collection full of points of things that I think she's amazing at. So even when I do end up not feeling so grateful or even upset with her over something trivial, I pull this journal up and within three minutes, I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And it's all possible because we have this, right? We call it the annual review or the performance review. But what it really is, is just a conversation an open conversation where we want to help each other grow. And it's not just to bash the other person and tell them what they're not good enough and make them feel awful. Then it's better if you don't do that in the first place, if that's your intent. What we also have, aside from the so-called annual performance review, is our five-year marriage review. And actually, that's a terrible word. It's not a marriage review. But every five years, we're going to come together and renew our marriage. Um, 
And we do this by going to a new country. We like to experience a local culture, uh, take the wedding photos with the local costumes, uh, and renew our marriage vows. And also, it's an opportunity for us to ask, are we happy in our marriage? If not, why not? And what are the things you know, we, could, we could work on? And I'm sure you know this, Alfonso, like when babies come into your life, it, it's another transformation. And we will need to reevaluate how we see ourselves as a family unit. So what worked for us before kids may not work for us after kids. So all of this requires an open attitude and mindset to, to be open and to communicate and to talk things out and work together as a family. Definitely children change a lot of things, mostly for the better, of course. And how has your approach to marriage, so to speak, where you have a constant way to provide feedback as a way to improve, has affected parenting? Because uh, both of you became parents. Help me out here with Enzo. He's around one year now. That's correct. He just turned one about a week ago. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so one year old. And have you seen the impact on parenthood? in somebody as wise as the two of you who had it together so well and then Enzo came in and as you mentioned children are a lot of work they are <laughs> i think it's a new challenge for us in life i call it a challenge because that's something that you would expect it's it's for me i never expect that it would be that difficult but i think that actually it's a lot of work um uh, and also, like for me in career, um, I have to actually sacrifice quite a lot for that. But I see it as a very interesting challenge. I think that it also opens up a new chapter for us to look at our relationship as life partners to join force together to finish something that's great, which is to raise and foster a human being. Um, I think that in the in that experience all through that time it's it's sometimes where it's a little bitter um i think it's very difficult um a lot of people say that the first year um it's always a lot of fighting between the parents because the woman would be thinking i'm doing a lot and then the guy would be probably still trying to come into the role of being a father so it's very difficult to get a balance out there but us, we managed to be okay, given that we have extended help and also we have the system of tell feedback to each other as often as you can on top. And so it's just mm, giving us so much joy to start with and then make all the challenges and the difficulties seem nothing in that in return. So in general, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm not sure about Ethan. <laughs> But yeah, for me, I didn't want to get married ever since I was 12. So needless to say, I never thought about having kids. In fact, I think I was terrified at the thought of maybe one day having kids. And it showed because Amanda brought up this topic within the first year of our marriage, and I was not ready to have that conversation. And I think she tried it again in the second year and then the third year. But it wasn't until like quite a bit later, she just said, we're not, we're no longer having this conversation. I'm not asking, right? That's sort of when things just happen. And when Enzo came into this world, I recognized I needed a lot of work, not on him, but on myself. It's almost like programming, right? Garbage in, garbage out. And if I'm not satisfied with who I am, or if I'm not confident in myself as a human being, how could I possibly raise a child who believes that he is confident and that he is as good as he can be? And I didn't want to be that irresponsible father, right? Because I, I grew up with that irresponsible father. So when Enzo came into this world, I was much busier than before working on myself because I recognize we all have our weaknesses, but most of us don't want to confront it. Our ego gets in the way. We like to believe we are much better than maybe what we truly are. So for me, I began to look at the areas where I'm not happy with. So for example, I am actually very egotistical, right? 
I am pretty full of myself. And it's quite difficult to receive feedback from, from anyone and not just Amanda. So I ask myself, what am I really afraid of? Why, why am I afraid of what people may think about me or say about me? And I begin to peel away that layer. And I recognize I've been hiding behind the so-called successes of my life, right? The different labels, the amount of money I used to make, uh, the different toys I've accumulated in life. But that's not who I really am. So I decided to work on that. I, I took different classes. I went through a variety of different experiments. Uh, to give you one example, I went on this uh, four-day trekking trip with no money and no phone. So for four days, I needed to essentially beg for food and, and ask people to support me along the way. That made me realize, yeah, I've been hiding behind my labels. I'm too full of myself to even ask for help. In those situations where you must ask for help, you see life very differently. So now I no longer walk by a beggar because now I know what that feels like. It's those type of experiences that helps me see myself as I am so that I would choose to be a sincere person. And part of that is having the vulnerability to admit you are who you are. And another is having the courage to verbalize that maybe I am inadequate. And that's why I know where to work on myself. So now Enzo is a year old and I see, yeah, at least in myself, that I could be more natural with him because I'm comfortable in my own being. You know, he's going to grow up with his own weeds. There's no need for me to put a different set of wings on him because I think that's the appropriate ones. So I'm going to live my life the way it's going to make me happy, that it's going to make me feel full. And I wish he will observe through myself and Amanda that he has sincere, capable, confident parents. And we're simply here as a role model. At least I don't want to be that parent who tells them what to do, and yet I don't do it myself. One thing I'm pretty sure is kids are smart, and you could tell them what they should do, but if they don't observe it in you, they wouldn't emulate it. They would just emulate who you really are. So if you're not satisfied with who you are, don't be surprised if your kids turn out to be all the things you don't want them to be. <laughs> and let me tell you, they get smart real fast because our all is nearly two years. So the change between one and two is, is palpable. So get ready for that. I'm trying to reflect how to even subtitle this call because we cover so many topics and it has been incredible. And I have really thank you both for sharing your stories and for bringing so much wisdom. And I always end the conversation with the same question. So I'll ask the same question to both of you. And that is, what are you most excited about the future? And maybe we start with you, Amanda, and then Ethan, you can take it. So what are you most excited about the future? Mm, this is a very profound question. <laughs> I'm just very excited about the unknown possibilities. Let me give you more context. I never really believing in fortune telling. I just generally don't like the, the concept and I never really do horoscope reading, something like that. You know, people tell me that, but I never believe in it. For me, one of the most beautiful part about life is that you have absolutely no knowledge of what's going to happen down the road, but you have all the possibilities, all the opportunities for yourself to make the kind of future that you want to live in. And that's something for me, really exciting. I'll share a story. This weekend is the October festival. We went to a friend's farm um, in a place called Yiwu, about three, four hours driving from Shanghai. And long story short, I've never imagined, you know, someone like my friend would be able to open up a farm deep down in a hill. And when I was asking him this question, he said, why not? You can do it yourself. And I think that's true. So I'm, I'm super excited to continue the, the exploration with life. Fantastic. Ethan? For me, I would use two words. So reactive and creative. Both of these words are spelled exactly with the same alphabets. Uh, the only difference is where this C is 
located. So in reactive, C is located in the middle. So you could almost see it as like, okay, C, S-E-E, -E, with the sound of C, it's the same. So it's a play on word. So if you don't see clearly, you'll always get stuck, and therefore you'll always be reactive. But the word in creative, C is in, a, in the front, so you get to see clearly. So when you see clearly, then you get to be creative. So what I'm most excited about is to experience my own creations. And the only way I could experience my own creations is to be creating in the first place. And the only ways I could be creating is if I could see clearly. So I think this comes down to me settling with the me that I am and just being okay with that. So stop pretending to be someone else or what society wants me to be or who my family wants me to be. I, I am just me and just being okay with that. And on top of that, being more and more in tune with what I want to be doing, that is continue to live my life uh, in a grateful, content manner, and in the process, uh, inspire people. Now, for me to inspire people, I mean, the word itself, inspire, comes from a Latin root, in spirit. So and you can't inspire people from the outside. You can only inspire people from the spirit, which comes from the inside. So as I become more in tune with who I am, as I being more and more okay with the person that I have become, I could just relax and just be me and inspire people and create based on what I felt is right. And in the process now, uh, Enzo is part of our creation and I am experiencing him and this is lovely. In the future, I'm most excited about sharing a world with someone that is part of me. He comes from Amanda and I and we came from our parents our son will continue to follow our journey. So I think that's what I'm just excited about, just being alive, being able to live a good life and experience my creations and hoping uh, that your listeners will also be able to be inspired from the talks we've had. And eventually we'll all find our own ways and be content and hopefully live the job life that we are all dreaming of definitely i can count myself out they inspire amanda nathan thank you so much for reviewing so many personal stories thank you for your time thank you for the invitation thank you so much alfonso if you like this conversation please leave a comment and a rating wherever you get your podcast from that will help like-minded people to discover the show if you or anyone you know has an inspiring story and would like to be featured in the show, or if you simply want to reach us to us directly, our email is hi at kintsugi.com, or you can hit me directly on Twitter at Alfonso underscore Comino. Thank you for listening. Adelante.